Hello, and welcome to Out of My Mind in Costa Rica, where we talk about all things related to post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress, which means the content in this podcast can be graphic. And if you suffer from PTSD or complex PTSD, keep in mind you could become triggered. Should that happen, stop the podcast and take care of yourself. If you want, you can always come back later. I'm the guinea pig here, and it is my life I examine on Out of My Mind in Costa Rica. It is my hope that my trials and tribulations, successes and failures, will somehow compel you to examine your life and discover your gifts. Socrates said, a life unexamined is a life not worth living. This is a call to action for all of us. As a clinical social worker for more than 25 years, this was my trade, my vocation, and from personal experience, I can tell you, without a doubt, that what you don't know can hurt you. My entire life, I've been compelled to support and encourage people to grow, to boldly look within and courageously examine their lives. Shine your light onto those dark spaces, and the solutions you seek will reveal themselves. Now, please, have a seat, relax, and listen to Out of My Mind in Costa Rica. Hello, and welcome to Out of My Mind in Costa Rica. I'm your host, Ray Erickson. Early this week, Sunday to be exact, I had a wee bit of a conflict with my wife, and I began to prepare for this week's topic to be on conflict, but no, that was not going to happen. Although the conflict woke me up to my need to take better care of myself, I couldn't shake the grief which was the basis of episode 20. So here it is, the day before my self-imposed release date, and I'm starting from scratch and continuing from where I left off last week, which was grief. Grief is sticky. It doesn't want to let go, which is why it requires such a conscious effort to release grief. Keep in mind that people with complex post-traumatic stress have extremely high levels of grief as a result of the numerous personal losses that span their lives. At least that's what it's been like for me. And I wouldn't be surprised if those of you who fit the criteria for complex post-traumatic stress aren't also treading water trying to keep yourself from sinking into your own ocean of grief. For what it is worth... You're not alone. Can you imagine the total collective grief of people who have experienced complex trauma in their lives? Imagine how overwhelming a force like that must be. Grief can only be released when you have fully accepted the loss. And how many people have been able to fully shed all of their grief? Not many. No one I can think of. And no one I have ever heard of. Maybe a few of the Buddhist monks have achieved this, but then again, their faith is based on the all-too-common human experience of suffering. As long as we suffer, there will be grief. We are never free from grief, but each step we take releases minuscule amounts of grief is a reason for elation and celebration. Yes, grief needs to be celebrated. We have forgotten the old ways and we have forgotten the teachings of our ancient ancestors. These humans were immersed in the present moment as hunters and gatherers. Each day they risked their lives in the hope of a successful hunt 
or the discovery of a riverside blackberry patch. Grief was around every corner, and they had ways to address the grief. They had rituals. They had ceremonies. They had vision quests. When you research grief, you may notice that it's slanted towards the loss of loved ones through death. This is the most common association with grief. Death can come to us in a hundred thousand possible ways. It doesn't really matter the manner in which one dies. They are dead. And that's a fact. They may be in our hearts, but they are no longer in our lives. The grief cycle has begun. In many ways, physical death is a much easier loss to process than death by divorce or death by rejection. When people die, they're dead. It's concrete. And there's no chance of them ever showing up in your life again, except through your own unresolved grief. Dead people are easy, but most of the losses in my life were not a result of death. Yeah, I have experienced my share of death, but much of my death experience has been the result of suicide. This form of physical death continues to live in the minds of the survivors. And I'll say more about suicide in a little while. For me, death by rejection or abandonment is a much more difficult loss to grieve than physical death. Whether it's the rejection of ourselves or our rejection of another, we experience loss. The object of our loss is still alive, breathing, doing what they do. Grieving those who have actually died has a terminal point somewhere down the road. But how does one fully grieve the rejection by your family? For instance, in my case, I was excommunicated by my family. Rejected, they rejected me because I was forcing them to look at the incest. This was intolerable for my family and to prevent the exposure of the family secrets, they chose to cut me out. I literally ceased to exist. In their minds, I was dead. I'm not a gambling man, but I would wager that not one of my family grieved an ounce for my loss. They killed me. This assured them the secrets were safe. I'm guessing their collective grief never got past stage one, and they remained in denial for the rest of their lives. I was dead and forgotten, as if I never existed. Only myself and my younger brother are still alive. And he may actually be dead. I have no idea. Their decision to kill me off in their minds worked in my favor, actually. I knew about incest families, and I knew about grief. I took full advantage of the Child and Family Institute's supportive environment. Along with a significant amount of psychotherapy over a long period of time, this combination has led me to believe that I have adequately grieved this loss. Maybe... You never really know. I survived this environment through a cleverly created dissociative state and by following the rules. The dissociative state blinded me to the abuse and following the rules helped me survive. Not only was I blind to the abuse, but as the hero child, I showed the world that my family was okay, that we were normal. Social work saved me from even more grief and loss by giving me the understanding and the skills needed to process grief like the loss of my entire family, not to mention the loss of my entire childhood. A childhood 
that turned out to be maybe more fiction than fact. What a life, eh? Well, I'm grateful that my family released me, because that was a major toxic waste dump. My life did nothing but improve beyond that point. I was cruising. I had my master's degree. I obtained my professional licensure to practice social work, and I spent the next 25 years living a pretty good life. That is, until complex post-traumatic stress began to undermine that very foundation. I had no idea I had CPTSD, but looking back, I could see, without a doubt, that I was suffering from this condition. Learning I had grown up in an incest family blew me away, and what's amazing to me is somehow I managed to escape my family's toxic environment entirely intact. In fact, I was so intact that I possessed the healing power of psychotherapy, which I did but I was not free from the damage caused by my incestuous family. Not by a long shot. No, I was damaged. And I had been carrying this pain without any conscious knowledge of it until three or four years ago. No, I felt pain, but I did not know it was intergenerational pain. I knew grief was involved, but I didn't know I was really, really damaged. There was a lot of grieving going on. In fact, at one point in my life, within a period of two years, there were eight people I knew who died of suicide. Most of these losses were occurring during my wild and crazy days in Idaho back in the early 80s. I was the hero child and a good boy, and I was slipping down a slippery slope into a death spiral, which made it clear I needed a change of scenery. Suicide. Well, now's as good a time as any to address this type of loss. When I was living and behaving like a fool in Idaho, I didn't know about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her five stages of grief. This was pre-social work school. And I was acting out like a mad dog hell-bent on self-destruction. I had no idea I was grieving so much loss. Subconsciously, I was still playing by the family rules. My descent into my own personal hell is the single greatest regret in my life. I literally hated myself. You could tell by my actions. I knew I was sliding down a slippery slope, but I didn't know how to stop myself. That is, until I was told by my lawyer that with four DUIs, that's driving under the influence, in a year and a half, I was looking at jail time. Well, this got my attention, and it gave me a good reason to get out of Dodge. So I did. I moved to Sacramento, California, where the sun began to shine once more. If you want to know more about my fucked up life in Idaho, then go check out those early episodes. I, I'm sorry, I, I don't remember which one, but it was one of the first four. Anyway... The real grief work for me did not begin until I was exiled by my family, and I was working at the Child and Family Institute. I worked with juvenile sex offenders in an outpatient setting. These were not your dangerous predator-type offenders, more like a naive, experimental type of offender. But don't let these fuckers off the hook just because they were teenagers, and they committed crimes that involved less coercion, less manipulation, and less violence. Their crimes were still violent, 
and they stole the innocence of many a young child. No, don't you have any pity on these young men. These young men have been adjudicated to the program because their individual family and social situations implied that they would respond to an intense family treatment approach. So even though they were lightweights when it came to sex offenders, their crimes were part of a process that was just getting started. The idea was to treat these young men in hopes that they did not become full-blown sexual predators. We did the best we could, and, for the most part, the team felt headway was being made with our young charges. Maybe we were right. Maybe we were wrong. We'll never know. Anyway, this last Sunday morning, I woke up with the blues. Wait a minute, that's not true. I had been feeling depressed all week, and I went to bed on Saturday feeling depressed. I knew something had to be done. I don't remember what I had for breakfast on Sunday, but I remember meditating and trying to work with the depression when I realized that the MDMA I was saving for my wife and me could provide some needed relief. I had tried MDMA for the first time about a month ago and was pleasantly surprised with the results. I divided the 500 milligrams into thirds and sampled one of the thirds at the time. I had two thirds left so I split that in half and dosed myself about 11 a.m. Now, I'm a firm believer in the use of psychedelic compounds in the treatment of affective disorders. I was familiar with the effects of 133 milligrams of MDMA, so I went into Sunday's experience with a focus on depression. At the worst, I would still be depressed, but the best, I will have alleviated a great deal of stress I was currently dealing with. So I decided to go with it, and I'm happy I did. I knew what to expect, but I had a different agenda for that day. Sunday was a day for grief, a day for loss, a day to rise from the ashes like the phoenix. It was not that dramatic, but it turned out to be a breath of fresh air. And I needed music for that day, too. And I went to YouTube where I found a Grateful Dead concert in Hawaii back in 1970. Ha! I was thrilled. Over three hours of Grateful Dead live. There couldn't be a better musical backdrop for my date with ecstasy. I had no plan to do anything but be with the depression and permit the mild hallucinogen to do its thing. Fortunately, the weather was wonderful. And for the first day in what seemed like months, the wind was not howling out of the east. In fact, the weather was calm with gentle breezes that seemed to come from every direction. It was a lovely day, and it even sprinkled a light dusting of rain, the first rain of the impending invierno, or winter here in Costa Rica, otherwise known as the wet season. Soon the rain will be here, the winds will calm down, and the world becomes green again. For the next six hours, I rode the wave that was created by the MDMA while listening to the Grateful Dead. I followed the first concert with another Dead show, but this one in 1980. What a difference 10 years made. The band was a hell of a lot better in 1980 than it was in 1970. This is one of my big revelations of the day. Yeah, Grateful Dead got better in the 10 years. Another one was that I will be okay. 
The grief will run its course, and I will emerge with a lighter load and a clearer vision for my life. Would I have been able to come to this conclusion without the chemical assist? Who knows? Maybe. Probably. But it would not have been Sunday. All is well. I never give up for a brighter tomorrow. Well, maybe once or twice I have, but those times opened my eyes so I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm human, and by virtue of being human, I'm going to experience loss and the subsequent grief. It's the way of life, they say. We live, we grieve, we die. In between is where we take our stand and live our lives to the fullest extent possible. We tread forward one step at a time, one day at a time, in the direction of our dreams, and we keep the faith. All is well. Then we sleep, and we get up in the morning, and we do it all over again. Grief is sticky, which is why you need to take a conscious approach to your grief. If you don't, then grief gets all mixed up, and before you know it, you're spiraling down the tubes into an inferno of hell. All it takes is a little mindfulness, a little awareness throughout the day on how you are feeling at any given moment, and to acknowledge those feelings as legitimate and necessary for what you are going through. Grief needs to be gentle. Good grief is like a dark, yet warmly inviting bed that cradles you until you fall asleep. Grief is a caring parent who stands by while you feel the pain of your loss. Grief holds you to the standard of full release, and grief will not abandon you until you are free of your pain. Grief is the friend you trust with your deepest secrets and your darkest shame. Grief is there for you to hold on to for as long as you need to hold on. It will not abandon you. It will not betray you. It will walk beside you until you are ready to let go. Grief asks nothing from you. There are no sacrifices or pledges that grief demands. No, just the opposite. Grief supports the letting go of these false gestures and meaningless activities that take up much of your day-to-day existence. Grief has been my constant companion for as long as I can remember. Is it a burden? At times, it certainly feels like a burden, and I scream my rage at the heavens above, but This is not grief. Rage is something different altogether, and I dare not go there because it would be too much of a detour. Maybe I'll do an episode on rage in the future. It sounds like it could be a good one. No, really, grief is not a burden. It's a pathway. Grief is a pathway to healing, and healing may just be our soul's purpose in this life. Maybe we came to this three-dimensional world to experience pain and loss, and our higher self is teaching itself how to be human. I have no idea, but that's a rather nice thought if I don't say so myself. Grief is not suffering, but resisting grief causes suffering. Those who cannot look their losses in the eye face-to-face, kara-akara, suffer dearly. For these people, death is scary. Death is mysterious. Fear of dying conjures up a lot of scary imagery. I understand why death is scary. For much of my life, I was terrified of death. But now, I can take it or leave it. It's not a big deal to me. 
Whatever is on the other side is on the other side. It's another adventure. It's not the end, but rather a new beginning. Dying is a hell of a lot easier than living, as a matter of fact. What's the fear from death? Hell, living another 20 years on this rock, in many ways, is scary as hell to me. If I knew I would live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. I don't feel a big feeling when I think about dying. But then again, I'm not dying, not in the literal sense, not at the moment. Well, that's not really true. We are all dying. Life, after all, is a terminal disease. Enjoy it while it lasts. And who knows? Who knows how we'll react when actually faced with death, kata akata. I'm hoping it is with grace. Maybe the Buddhists were right, that the cause of all suffering is attachment. I can certainly attest to plenty of suffering at the hands of my attachments. As someone who makes strong, albeit insecure, attachments with others, I've suffered greatly when these attachments were no longer attached. A lot of my suffering can be attributed to codependency, which I talk about in episode 17, CPTSD and codependency. These days, I prefer the term connection over attachment. Something about the word connection, it feels less like an attachment than attachment. You know, like an arm or a leg. So what does grief and loss have to do with people who have complex post-traumatic stress? I can only speak for myself when I say, most people have no idea the mountains of grief and loss I have experienced in my life. For many of you with CPTSD, you may be dealing with a boatload of grief this very moment as a result of a loss the other day, or last week, or last month. Whatever that loss is, the first thing to do is to be kind to yourself. The second thing to do is to get out of your mind. Meditate. Focus on your breath. Take a walk. And while you walk, count your steps up to 15, then repeat. Repeat and repeat until you finish your walk. Pay close attention to the sensations of walking, the movements of your legs, your arms, and how your hips shift your weight as you count up to 15. Watch your breath as you take each step and feel the earth beneath your feet. Remember, grief must be shared with at least one other person. Otherwise, the grief remains. It's that simple. I hope you have at least one person in your life with whom you feel safe enough to grieve deeply and fully. If not, then find a support group. Hospitals usually have a grief support group that is led by a professional therapist. Google grief and loss for something in your area. There are also countless YouTube videos with meditation music claiming to assist with grief. Do what feels right. Do what works for you. Take your time. And remember, there is no time constraints on grief. You will grieve as you grieve. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you for being here today. I didn't know this morning that I was going to do another episode on grief, but what can I say? I'm doing my best to follow my heart and to trust my gut. I hope today's podcast was helpful, and if you are so inclined, please help me reach those people who need to hear out of my mind in Costa Rica, living with complex stress. If you are listening on a platform that allows you to comment, rate, or review, 
then please let your voice be heard. Tell me what you think about my mind in Costa Rica. What you like, what you think will make it better. Write me an email at ray at rayerickson.com. I'll get back to you right away. And most of all, if you know people who would benefit from my podcast, please share. Sharing is caring. So until the next time, be courageous, be strong, be kind. I'll catch you later. Bye.